This is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at LeBanc St. Sampson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. So it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, glorified God. And he fell down on his face, at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten? Say that, were there not ten? (laughs) Cleansed. Where are the nine? Where there were not any found, they returned to give glory to God except this foreigner. And he says, Arise, go your way. This is a phrase we need to get off. Your faith has made you what? Whole. We can look at it as we go on. Now, we're told in, in this particular scripture, here's Jesus, and he, and he comes across, he comes comes to a village and right as he enters this village, we're not actually told the name of the village, interestingly enough, but we're not told the name of it. And he comes across, we're told here, ten lepers. How many know how horrendous leprosy was in those days? I mean, it's totally kind of wiped out in, in, in Europe, but it's a horrible disease. And so because leprosy was considered to be kind of contagious, what took place was they were kept if you like, they were kept, they, they weren't allowed to mix with people, they were, they were totally, totally kept away with people. And it's interesting, so they kind of hooked up together. Isn't that interesting? They hooked up together. They wanted to see that in the natural, those kind of people would have nothing to do because one was a Samaritan, nine were a Jew. Now you think about it, Jews and Samaritans had absolutely nothing to do with each other. And there's the interesting thing, that, if you like, an issue brought them together. Isn't that interesting? An issue brought them together. You know, I'm, if I'm honest, I'm, I'm never kind of, I'm always sort of amazed. It's, I think it's one of the great mysteries of life. The people with certain values and certain issues somehow get drawn together. Have you ever seen that? I've seen it happen time and time again. It's almost an issue or a value will draw people together who actually naturally have nothing to draw them together. They can work both good or bad. For example, people who complain a lot often are drawn to people who are bitter. It's almost the value system, the issues, amazingly, can draw even the worst of enemies together. I've only seen that happen in life. The people you think they have nothing in common naturally, but because of an issue, because of some problem in their life, it draws them together. I think it also can work in a positive side. Right attitudes and right values draws good things into your life. Can you say amen? It just draws. The right values, the right attitudes, the right things in life begin to draw the right things into your life where the wrong things draw the 
wrong things. I notice this. See, what you value, you attract. Think about that. What are your highest values in life is what's going to attract to your life. So how many want good values and right values? Because I want good, only want good things in their life. So I want good things in my life. I need to do the right things to attract the good things. Is that right? Now, the thing about leprosy, in those days, there is today a little bit, but in those days, there was no cure for leprosy. It was absolutely tragic. And at the worst point of leprosy, parts of your body would drop off. How many have seen photographs of that? People with noses missing and people with just stubs of hands. How many have seen those photographs of people with leprosy? So parts of people's bodies would just kind of fall off. And almost you'd be an outcast from the temple, from the family, no communication with the public, no hope for tomorrow. You had to provide for yourself because no one would help you. And almost it was a horrible life. Imagine... Imagine living your life and never having any human contact. No hug from a loved one. Not able to hug your grandchildren. No longer to have contact with your family, with loved ones. No communication, no contact. And you just lived in a colony where the, which was totally separate from the outside world. Someone described leprosy as I researched this, they said they were zombie-like creatures. That's what it was like. And it could lie dormant in someone's life for up to 5 to 15 years. And it starts with a speck in the eye, then the palms, then it spreads to the rest of the body. And it always would hit the part of your body that was furthest away from your heart. It would kill the nerve ends to the point you don't feel anything. You could put your hand in a fire and you wouldn't feel it. You'd have a splinter and you wouldn't feel you had it. You become, you totally lose your ability to have sense or feelings. And there's the, do you know, the Bible pictures sin like leprosy. Do you realise that? That's how, that's what the Bible defines and describes. It describes sin as like leprosy. In other words, what sin does to people has the same effect. The more sin begins to grip someone's life, they begin not to feel anything. Things that they once used to feel convicted about doesn't seem to bother them or affect them anymore. It actually doesn't doesn't seem quite so bad as it used to be. It begins to numb your feelings. And you begin to lose spiritual affections. The passion begins to go for God that you had. The joy goes. The peace that you once knew begins to evaporate and begins to leave so you become insensitive. You lose the ability to feel the affections of God. Remember I said that leprosy starts off just in a small way, little spots in the eyes. You know what the Bible says? It says it's the little foxes that what? That spoil the vine. Many of the, the, the things that really damage people's lives don't start off as big things. 
They start off in little things that people don't resolve, that people don't deal with, that people don't repent of. And those little things that we don't deal with tend to grow and grow and begin to impact our lives. I think some of the, I tell you what, the most healthiest spiritual way you can be is you cooperate with the convicting work of the Spirit. That the moment the Spirit convicts you, you deal with it. You confess it. You turn from it. You put it under the blood. And the moment you do that, aren't you glad everything is restored back and renewed back? I believe cooperating with the convicting work of the Spirit. Someone said, the essence of holiness is described as loving and serving God with an undivided heart. Not allowing anything to dull or distract the heart. That's what it's about, amen? That we're not allowing anything to distract us, to allow us to have divided hearts. Everything for Jesus, can you say amen? Now notice this in verse 12. The Bible says, they stood far off. They stood far off. In other words, they had not yet got connected. Because, I don't know if you understand this, can you imagine if people really want nothing to do with you, they keep you far off. What begins to grow there is a sense of rejection and isolation. And the moment those things grow in the human heart, there becomes a disconnection. I think the biggest thing that disconnects people from God is a spirit of rejection. Where people feel rejection in their hearts and it, it kind of disconnects them from God. They don't feel connected with God. They don't feel in union with Him. They don't feel close to Him because there are things that are disconnecting them and they go through the outward exteriors of Christian living, they go through the outward performances, but deep in their hearts they are standing far off. There's no real heart connection with God. They worship and they go through all the outward exteriors, but it's not something from their heart. There's no real heart connection. And so even though you may come to a gathering together, yet in your heart you may what? Stand far off. It was a few weeks ago, actually. Being the good husband I am, uh, uh, Andy had a watch, and I was a bit. Of, I, I bought her this watch, and it hadn't been very long, and suddenly the thing stopped working. So we thought the battery had stopped working. So I took it to be repaired, and and when we came back, she, you know what? Your ba- that battery is working perfectly well. Nothing wrong with that battery, but what it is, there's some dust that's gone in it, and because of that. The watch isn't working, it stopped. And the didn't charge me for it, and of course. But the point was, something was blocking the connection. I wonder today, is there anything blocking your connection? Is there anything causing you to, to stand far off? And he said in verse 13, they stood far off, and I love this, they began to lift up their voices. Sometimes if you want God's attention, you've got to learn to open your mouth. You know what I tell you we need to do? Here's a good one. We need to cast off our British reserve, amen? Isn't that right? You guys from South Africa, it's true. 
all you're going through, we've got to cast off, we've got to cast off British reserve. Because they say they began to lift up their voices. And as they lifted up their voices, Jesus began to respond to them. I think the truth is, if sometimes you're going through a hard, difficult situation. I read the other day about a guy and a car. Well, I'll tell you another story. A shark, this is true, a shark actually took off a little boy's arm, grabbed it, took it off. The father screamed at the top of his voice and ran and got a hold of the shark. He did, he wrestled the shark and killed the shark. Took the little boy's arm out of the shark and then they were able to get a helicopter and the the arm, if you like, was fitted back onto the little boy. Now you think that naturally. How many would do that naturally? You wouldn't. But the power of urgency, the power of love, a greater power is at work that enables you to go beyond things that you would not normally do. And I think it's the same with God. Sometimes when a situation is desperate enough, if we're willing to cry out to God, something awesome breaks out into our life. And they began to cry out, Jesus. That seems simple, Jesus. That seems obvious, but I think one of the things we lose sight of is who our source is. Listen today, men are not your source. Even your bank balance isn't your source. Outward exteriors, people, all those things are not your source. I think one thing we desperately need is a revelation of who our source is. Because so often we run to other things that don't actually meet the need that we have. We run to forced comforts that leave us dissatisfied and empty. I think something happens, you say, Jesus, you're my source. Really, ultimately speaking, you are the only one that I need. He said, Amen. And they said, Jesus. And they said, Master. I think it's, they called him Master. Say that, Master. I think it's coming to a place that when we yield to him and we just do what he tells us to do, I think we can miss out on so much that God has got for us because we simply are unwilling to give him total control. Unwilling to say, Jesus, today, I give you, I yield to you, and give you total control. I just wonder this morning, is there any area of your life that you are holding back from God? Is it a person? Is it some area of your life, some habit, some situation that's holding you back. The best way I look at it is like this. If that thing there wasn't in your life, imagine how different your life could be. Imagine how effective you could be. Imagine how on fire you could be. Maybe an issue that you can't seem to get victory over. You've never really opened that door of your heart. You just say, Jesus, right now, I'm giving that thing to you right now. I've held on to that for so long in my life. And right now, I'm surrendering it. And I'm letting go, amen. And letting Jesus have full control. 
They cried out, Jesus. They cried out, Master. And this is my favourite term. They said, Lord, have what? Mercy. Lord, have mercy. You see, mercy is when you don't give someone what they deserve. Mercy is all about getting what we don't deserve. Isn't that awesome? And to be merciful means to be full of compassion. You know what the Bible says of God? He is of what? Great mercy. And mercy is the passionate love of the Father meeting the desperate need of people. Psalm 106 verse 7 speaks of the, of the multitudes of mercies. I love it. The multitude of mercies. In other words, it's not just one, there are multitude of mercies. Hebrews 4. Look at Hebrews 4, verse 16. These are the words. Let us therefore, therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that what we may obtain what? Mercy. And find grace in time of need. I love it. I think mercies include healing. Mercies include provision. They include strength. They include help. They include deliverance in times of trouble. Notice this. He's called the father of mercies, not the father of mercy. Because his mercy absolutely connects with everything. Psalm 145 verse 9. Let me just say this about healing. I just want you to hold it. You know, I've found with healing more and more that healing ultimately is an act of mercy. And the problem is often we, we think we've got to earn it. And because we're trying to earn our healing, we don't realise actually it all comes by mercy. It's not deserved, it's not earned. But the more, I found this, the more faith you begin to have in the mercy of God, the more you begin to see him working and moving. It's having faith in the mercy of God. And the more you have a revelation of his incredible mercy, and how his mercy is not limited, the more you're going to see God do something awesome in your life. Psalm 145 verse 9 says, His tender mercies are over all his works. His tender mercies are over all his works. Think about this. You're one of his works. Is that are you one of his works? That means if you're one of his works, that means his tender mercies are all over you. Isn't that awesome? His tender mercies are all over you. Ever felt that you've made so many mistakes you just wish you could start again? Ever looked at things you think, my goodness, look at the mess I've made. You know what the Bible says? His mercy endures forever. The Bible says he delights in mercy and mercy triumphs over judgment. That means he's the God, not only of the second chance, he's the God of the third chance, he's the God of the fourth chance, he's the God of the fifth chance, because his mercy endures forever. 
His mercy never, his wrath is but for a moment, but his mercy endures and lasts forever. Can you say amen? And something grips a heart. I think people begin to to, to, to want to give more of their life to Jesus and they see how incredibly merciful he is. Because it's a true revelation of who he is. I think some people have such a, a wrong perception of God. It limits their ability to release themselves to him. And they cried out, God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. And as I love, it says, when Jesus saw them, I love the fact, he sees you in your outcast situation. When you were rejected, when you felt unloved, he saw you. No matter what the problem, no matter how hopeless it sees the situation, he sees you and he's aware of it. Can you say amen? I had an awesome story. Can I share this story with you? It was wonderful. This lady, I tell you, she had so many things wrong with her. I mean, you need a big list. She had everything you named, she had it. She had, she had just a whole list of multitude of sicknesses. Absolutely a whole list of things. And someone had a word of knowledge and her name was Maria. And in that, someone said, there's a, a lady named Maria and all these words of knowledge and all the uh, all, all particular ailments were said as this word of knowledge came. And as she came, she was miraculously healed right there. Everything went from her body. She was totally healed, completely healed. You know what thing moved her heart? You know what thing really touched her? Not just the healing, but the fact that God knew her name. And she couldn't get over the fact, God knows my name. That's what she kept saying. You see, God knows my name, God knows my name. That's all she couldn't get over. She was healed, but the thing that struck her the most was God knew her name. Isn't that awesome? And God knows you. He knows where you are. He knows where you're at. He knows all about you. You can say amen. Jesus saw them. Now, notice what he told them to do. Have you ever thought about this? When he saw them, he says, this is what you want to do. Now, there are some lepers Jesus put his hand on. You know what? In Old Testament times, you never touch the leper because they thought you'd be contaminated. In New Testament, Jesus, he touches what's contaminated and drives it out. Can you say amen? So often he touched lepers. But on this occasion, he just told them to do something. He says, go and show yourself to the priest. That seems quite a logical thing to do until you understand something, and it's this. You never went to a priest until you were healed. You couldn't, you couldn't go to the priest with leprosy. You had to go to the priest healed. And Jesus says, you've got leprosy, but go to the priest. In other words, that they were having to do an act of faith. He gave them instructions that defied common logic. How can you go to the priest when you still have leprosy? And this is what I love. As they obeyed, the Bible says, as they went their way, they were healed. Isn't that awesome? And if we would just go and obey, even though it may not seem like it's working yet, but I tell you what, by the time you get there, it's going to be all right. Everything outwardly might be against you, 
but you've got a word from God. And no matter what it looks like, you are going to go your way. And when you're on your way, something is going to break out and something's going to happen. It was on their way. But they were wonderfully healed. I just want to say this morning, I believe, I honestly believe this with all my heart. The power of obedience far outweighs anything we can imagine. You know, one of my favourite authors, I'm, he's 200 years old, so a lot of the stuff, you know, all morning, there's a guy called Charles Finney. How many have ever heard of Charles Finney? He says about revival. He says, revival always begins with new obedience. Because where there's new obedience, there will always be a new move of God. I love reading the people like Smith Wigglesworth. How many have ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth? I said, yeah, what's the key? How come they see so many amazing things? There is risen, risen record that that guy, he, he raised up over 16 people from the dead. He, he, he performed just the most outrageous miracles you'd ever believe. And I said, and I said really, so I think, what's the key? Is there a se- has, he got, has he got a secret that we need to discover about this? And I discovered the one secret that guy had was very simple. And it's simply this radical obedience. Whatever God told him to do, he did it. No matter how crazy it seemed, how offensive intellectually it seemed, he just obeyed every prompting and leading of the Spirit. And out of his obedience, God moved in extraordinary ways. As he went his way. There's one outrageous story. Can you imagine this? He goes to a funeral. He goes to the coffin and pulls the person out of the coffin, puts them against the wall and commands them to come back to life. And the body just falls to the floor. He does that three times. Only would say after three times now, you're looking for the exit door. <laughs> and they say, where is the exit door? This is not working. I really thought this was God. I've missed it. But he went on and the sixth time, <coughs> the guy coughed and he came back to life. And we'd call that outrageous obedience. And that's the kind of thing that actually causes God to respond. And because these guys brought outrageous obedience, God did amazing things. I found this. That as you obey him, you're going to see your breakthrough. Maybe contrary to the way things look right now, contrary to the way things feel, it may, everything may be in opposition, but if you would obey, God would bring incredible breakthrough as they went their way, a leprosy went and they were cleansed of their leprosy. Now think about this. Now, they'd been cleansed of the leprosy. Isn't that awesome? Oh, that's awesome. You know what the, what's the first thing they did? Nine of them, you know, not, not, none of them for well, I need to go home, man. I'm cleansed of my leprosy. I need to go home. So one guy went home to his mom. Oh, thank you, mom. I and gave his mom a hug and, you know, get my favourite meal on today. You know, get, 
go down to the McDonald's, get me a Big Mac. You know, I just, this is amazing. I'm just clean. I want to enjoy this. I, you know, I've never had that. I've had this for years. And he, he had a, you know, went to see his mom. And then another guy went and he went home to, to, to his wife and hugged his wife and maybe hugged his children. Another went back to his family. And nine of them, immediately they knew they were cleansed. They all went back home. But one. He knew he had been healed and he turned back and fell at the feet of Jesus. And here's what to see. God cannot resist leper worship. You know what leper worship is? It's when you praise God. It's when you worship God. Not so much for what he does for you, but you worship him for who he is. You just worship him for who he is. I think sometimes we just praise him when we get that car or when good things happen to us. But the one thing that God looks for is when we say, Lord, I praise you today. I praise you that you are my healer, that you are my saviour, that nothing can separate you from my love. You are my strength. You are my comforter. I think sometimes that when we feel like lepers, the pain all around us, and nothing seems to be going on, everything seems to be falling apart, in those moments, you worship God, not just so much what he's done, but you worship him for who he is. It's almost that spirit that says, God, if you never answer another prayer, I'm still going to worship you. I don't care what goes wrong, whatever happens in my life, I'm making a quality decision right here and now, no matter what, I'm committed to a lifestyle of worship and praise. And that's the kind of worship that's going to touch the heart of God. Can you say amen? Jesus says, where are the other nine? Where are they? Say Tomorrow is my, this is my last day in the 50s. I want to make the most of it. I'll be joining Gareth. We join you guys, won't I? Yeah. Wow. That's even more frightening. But you know what? And over the years, been in mission now over 30 years, I can look back. And I can see people who were in incredible crisis. And during that crisis, they prayed like you'd never heard anyone pray. They never missed a meeting. They were absolutely right out right there. When the crisis was there, it was amazing what they were like. But God resolved the crisis. God answered the prayer. God brought the healing. God dealt with the crisis. God dealt with the problem. And suddenly, but surely, they begin to pull away. They don't pray as they once used to pray. They begin to pull away from church. They begin to pull away from all kinds of things. They no longer think they need God. Maybe people don't always go to that extreme. But maybe in the crisis, wow, you're praying, you're praising, you're worshipping. Sometimes the most dangerous place to be is in the place of success. It's in the place of comfortability. It's when the, the, the answers come to prayer. Do you still worship? Are you still as passionate when the crisis isn't there? Are you still going for God when the struggle's not there anymore? 
That's the real test, isn't it? When everything's going well. Were there not? Where are the other nine? Now here's the amazing thing I want you to see. Because nine of them went back cleansed from their leprosy. But there's one to see. They still had the missing ear. They still had the missing toes. They still had the missing nose. They were cleansed of their leprosy. But this man, who worshipped, we're told, was made whole. In other words, they didn't get back what they had lost. They still look like what they've been through. But this man, I just believe, I can just see it happening, as he began to worship, as he began to worship Jesus for who he was, his nose began to come back. His toes began to come back. His fingers began to grow again. As he worshipped, he was made whole. In fact, the word whole there is the Greek word sozo which actually means complete, unbroken, undivided. And God says, when you worship, you get your losses back. When you turn pain into worship, when you worship for who he is, not just what he's doing, when you worship him because of who he is, because he's good, things begin to be restored back. Listen this morning. Self-pity, complaining, moaning, isn't your answer. It really, it's not the answer. It really is not the answer. The answer is what? Worship. As we worship, he restores back everything the enemy has Stolen. God put back into this man's life everything that the leprosy had stolen, and he was going to see to the point you'd never known what he'd gone through. If you looked to him after that time, you'd never known he had leprosy. You'd never known he'd gone through it. Isn't that awesome? And I believe with all my heart that God can't so, can so restore people that you'd never know what they've been through because he's so restored them. And probably Bevan, you probably had these guys, but teen, have you ever had teen, remember teen Challenge? When teen, I think they came to us in Wales. What did they do with Teen Challenge? They sent me a photograph of what they were like before they went into drugs, well, before they came out of drugs. And you'd see them. They were thin. They were thin. Their eyes were gaunt and they were horrendous, isn't that true? And then they show you pictures of them as they are now. And you wouldn't even recognise it's the same person. I remember when we were in Wales, we had a girl, one of the, one of the ones who lead the, the swans at the time, and she had a picture of herself, and you would, in fact, it, it, it was so different, I wouldn't even know her as the same person. God so restored her, you'd never know what she'd been through. And I believe with all my heart that God can so restore us no one would even know what you've been through. So most this, you should have seen me like I was before, before Jesus got a hold of me. I am so restored. 
love the story of Shadrach, Abednego, was it Mendigo? Abednego. Or uh, was it a cottage, white cottage, whatever I know. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or a shack, my shack, and a bungalow. I don't know what it is, but you see what I'm saying. <laughs> but they were worshipping. They, they were, they were, you remember they were putting the fire, fiery furnace, they were putting this fiery furnace, man. Not a good place to be. <laughs> and they were in that fiery furnace, and they so annoyed the, they so annoyed the king, he said, I'll tell you what, put it up even hotter. Make it so hot, you can't even get any hotter. And, and so he, they, it was hot there. And in fact, even the people that tried to put him in were burned to death. And when the king looked, he says, you know what? It's as if there's a fourth man there. One has an angel of the Lord. Jesus was right there in the midst. And here's the incredible thing. You read in Daniel 3.16 that when they were brought out, not only were they not burnt, but the Bible says they didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. You'd never believed what they'd been through because the Lord so restored them. I love the story of the prodigal. You think about what the father did. Do you think he left him smelling with the, the smell of pigs? He could have said, you know what, I'm going to make you an example. And I want you to smell like pigs for the next months, just to soapy what you've been through. Is that true? You know what he did? He put a robe on him. He put a ring on his finger. He put sandals on him. And you'd never believe what that son had been through before. And I believe with all my heart today that when God restores you in your worship, it's not just the problem that's resolved, but you don't walk the rest of your life with the effects of it. It's as if it's never been or ever happened because he's restored. Can you say amen? Where are the other nine? Think about it. 10%. How many want to be part of the 10%? That says, Lord, no matter what I'm going through right now, I'm just going to worship you. I'm just going to worship you. And in my worship, your restoring power is going to come. It's going to touch me to the point that you never believe what I've been through. I often wonder sometimes. People look at Christians and think, you know, oh, how can they understand what I'm going through? They don't understand all the pain, all the disappointment, all the stuff I've been through in my life. You know why that is? Because they don't know what you've been through. They don't know the trials, the pains, all the stuff you've been through. They look at you as you are now. And that's the massive difference. And you're glad for the power of God. He's the God of restoring power. Where are the other Let's be the one that constantly gives thanks to him. Let's just stand right now in these moments. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Eden Church. For more downloads, information or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceelam.co.uk.